David A. Price presents... Hello folks, welcome to Marvel Noise episode 406. I'm your host, Steve Raker, pondering all things Marvel from the White Room, like an abstract cosmic entity. It all makes sense from here. Well, except for some of Steve Gerber's comics. Marvel Noise is the semi-monthly podcast proudly sponsored by nobody. Our scope is all things Marvel, with a particular fondness for and fascination with the Bronze Age. You can find, listen to, stream, and download episodes past and present over on marvelnoise.com, and there's a handy little calendar-style drop-down menu on the right-hand side that lets you easily navigate past months and years. You can get new episode announcements, give us feedback, and see images and cover galleries on our Facebook and Twitter pages, and find other fine podcasts from the folks that host us at the Deliberate Noise Network, which include Indie Comic Book Noise, our sister show where Andrew, Kevin, and Phil, and sometimes I, talk indie comics. Now, I'm not going to vamp and take up time too much here. Got to get Andrew, the LA Rabbit, and WWX Kevin on pronto for a Bronze Age binge that started out simply enough when Kevin suggested reading Nebula's first appearance in the Avengers. But that happened to be the very next issues of Avengers after I quit reading comics for almost five years beginning my freshman year in high school in the mid-80s. I was up for that. But the fallout from that story and how Nebula got from there to Starlin's handling of her in the Infinity Gauntlet turned out to be quite the rabbit hole. And for that kind of terrain... We need a rabbit. All right, Andrew is here. Kevin is here, as promised. And, oh, have we got a Bronze Age binge to take here. Going the other side of the Bronze Age. Yeah. Late, I don't know when the Bronze Age ended, I, you could say. It's I like think this is Copper Age. I like Yeah, this is almost this Copper. copper. Yeah. The color is starting to change. You you have that those coins in your hand, and you're like, "Ooh, is that a hmm?" It's March to July of 1985, and we have Avengers 256 to 260, written by Roger Stern, with art with by John Buscema, providing breakdowns like layouts. And Tom Palmer providing finished pencils and inks. This is, I mean, I have a quote here from John Buscema in the early 80s, a couple of years prior to him taking this uh, assignment on, where he says, Conan is my favorite character. In fact, I recently asked Roy Thomas, or rather, I told Marvel and Roy I'd like to do Conan exclusively. It's the only project in comics that I've ever done that I really enjoy, because he is not one of those guys who flies, or can drill himself into the ground headfirst or anything like that. 
To me, Conan is real. I can actually do things with this body, move him in certain ways that I can understand. I cannot understand a guy flying through a building or somebody stretching himself around a lamppost and making himself into a pretzel. I can't relate to that. I don't enjoy that. I hate it with a passion. I hated doing the Avengers, and I hate doing any superhero. I told everyone up at Marvel that. I love doing Conan. He's my kind of guy. So after a long run of doing Conan, and for the most part doing Conan exclusively... John was brought back on to the Avengers, <laughs> but maybe I think this helps explain why he was just providing breakdowns for Tom. You know, his, his work on the Avengers might be the the finest work from someone that hated what they were doing. Right? I, I thought, think these issues came out great. Everybody did awesome. I have not read these since 1984. But, um. probably but i have vague so it was interesting to see like what do i remember because i don't remember nebula but i do remember terminus but that's probably because uh. i was also reading fantastic four right and that's the crossover bit so that leaped out a little bit more at me plus we're prime into why i say this is more copper is we've moved into that like we can just have books where issues are totally just the soap opera ongoing storyline bits. And that's what, what you'll see in both these crossed over Avengers, fantastic Four. like some issues they put in like a little tacked on fight, but it's really just pushing all the different storylines around, which is something I enormously enjoyed in the eighties. Yeah. This is, this is a bit of a blind spot, like right before I, I read some issues, but this is like prime Marvel comics. Like, if you don't like some of these Avengers issues during the 80s, I'm like, I don't know if you're an Avengers fan. Hmm. Like, also, some of this stuff, if you don't get anything out of this, I'm like, I think you need to go to another era or something. I also forgot one of the key characters who's sort of weird. I always loved him, but I forgot how long his Avengers career was, was the Black Knight, who had a shot for a guy with a sword. Now, in Marvel Super Comics... You can kill millions of aliens, but you can't, like, cut off Whirlwind's head or whatever. No offense, <laughs> Kevin. So it's funny that his, guy, his whole thing is his magic sword, and he's in, like, a million <laughs> Avengers issues, but he can't really ever use it. And right. then well, his sword with a blood curse. The blood yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on top of so it. So it's this funny dance that they do, the swordsman, Black Knight, like, yeah. let's have these guys with super violent weapons and the comics will be violent, but in that weird eighties comic book, it's just a fun, like I I'm like, Oh, cause he lingers with the team for quite a while. And then yeah. soon he gets the jacket, not the hall of fame jacket, but the nineties. Well, yeah, no, he, he goes away and comes back. That, that, that yeah. that's way after, way after 300 when, uh, Harris is writing the book that, um, black Knight has, I think, a, a really great arc character arc when at during that whole flak jacket time. But at this time he was just coming back after being um, gone. I think he was like a, maybe a time shift where he went back and fought in the past with Merlin or was just like out of commission for a while because I remember him coming back in Dr. Strange in the Paul Smith, Terry Austin drawn uh, issues where he came back and Strange was kind of help helping 
nurse him back to health and yeah. reacclimate him to the modern world. Maybe. Oh yeah, he was. Did he Greg get Greg gargoyled at one point or something? I... Maybe that was it. But he was definitely out of commission for a long time, and yeah. it's like he's back. And what's the connection is that Doctor Strange run was written by Roger Stern, who's also the writer here. Yeah, just really good. I mean, I know Kevin picked this because these issues we're going to cross have the Marvel seal of quality approval. Our final issue has the bold Secret Wars 2 crossover tag, which you know you're in for good <sighs> comics with that crossover. So that, I'm like, oh, that's that... why Kevin wanted these. He loves <laughs> right. that Secret Wars 2. <laughs> There's so much in here, though, like that you can make connections to. There is just so much. For sure. All right, let's start unpacking it. The first three of these issues has this subplot that's building of Captain Marvel, the Monica Rambeau, now photon Captain Marvel, who was checking on the status of Thanos' abandoned warship, the Sanctuary 2, the previous issue in 255. Now, at this time, Thanos is dead. Right, like he died way back in the Marvel Two and One and Avengers annual crossover in 1977, and after that he only appeared in Starlin's 1982 Death of Captain Marvel, Marvel, Marvel the Marvel graphic novel, and he was kind of like an ambassador of death that appeared to guide Marvel, not fight him, and and lead him into the afterlife realm, uh, you know, that his mistress controlled. Thanos was dead, dead until Starlin came back with issue 34 in 1990 of The Silver Surfer. And that's a comic I saw at a 7-Eleven spinner rack, and that got me back into comics after an almost five-year sabbatical, which began ironically during these issues that we're reading when I bailed. Well, Steve, Thanos is inevitable, right? So, you know. <laughs> so, while on board... The ship, the Sanctuary 2, is stolen. It's it's hijacked with Captain Marvel on board by a group of mercenaries that's seemingly led by a couple of Thanos' old lieutenants from back in the day. But it turns out that these guys aren't in charge, but rather the ruthless Nebula is making her first appearance. That is crazy. Because every time she shows up, she's bossing someone around or shooting someone. She is brutal. Well, the the uh, some of her compatriots do seem a little buffoonish. I gotta <laughs> say, for generally well done comics, I felt they were a little arch. I mean, I guess not to step on Super Steve's toes, but she was sent up there because the Vision concurrently was sending people away so he could take over the computers. He gets talked down from that. The only reason that's important is there's another subplot where the government doesn't like what vision did. So they're spying on the Avengers and taking actions against the Avengers, which gets resolved. But there's, they're also kind of a little bit, of click and clack the Tappet brothers a bit about but, those two as well. But does it ever yeah, really they're like, resolved? Hey, we don't like what you did. We're now we're going to murder you. <laughs> well, the Avengers at this time are captain Marvel, as we've said, the Monica Rambo, captain America, the wasp, Hercules, Star Fox, and the Black Knight would join during these issues. 
Cause... You know what's hilarious is when Hercules gets his outfit. I probably didn't think of this outfit like that at the time, but I'm like, He-Man. <laughs> totally. Hawkeye and Iron Man are out west, starting the West Coast Avengers, who at this point had only had the four-issue limited series, but they would soon have their ongoing, and, like, Hank Pym would be with them and stuff, so that's why this arrangement is is not standard one. And the other reason is because of what, Andrew, you just said. We're in this post-Vision-led team era that ended really badly when he took over all the world's computers, and he's currently, like, being debriefed, but he's basically incarcerated by the NSA. The team isn't the same without the Vision and Scarlet Witch. Let me just say, they left in that last issue, in 255, and they would have their 12-issue limited series that was drawn by uh, Richard Howell. Uh, But then they would kind of linger and, and turn up again in Burns... West Coast Avengers run like 50 issues down the line of West Coast Avengers. So um, they're really put on the shelf other than, you know, or put in their corner, I should say, and taken out of the Avengers books. And I do want to give a shout out to the late, great Tom Palmer, who kills it. He does so much detail work on all the machinery in the background. And then... Slight spoiler, they go to different locales, one that has an awful lot of greenery, and that's crazy detailed as well, like, just really, but not so much that you get distracted, or like, the the figures are clearly in the foreground and stressed, but just uh, an incredible amount of detail in an era where sometimes, <laughs> and even so, sometimes here you'll have you know, the the clear colored backgrounds, which is fine. You can't jam it too full or again, it just creates kind of a bit of a visual mess. But just, a, you know, that's a lot of work that he's putting down on the page, all to good effect. In my this opinion. was his book for sure with Busema again, just putting down those breakdowns, you know. So like you also said, Andrew, about the friction with the National Security Council they have a new liaison. You know, there's always a liaison, right? And this one is post Gyrick, but he isn't much help either. Yeah. Um, but he's not contentious. He's not hostile. So that helps. But, you know, you got to have the bureaucrats getting in the way. But Steve. they're always dealing with, you know, are, do they have their security clearance? Is it going to get pulled? Um, are they going to even be allowed to exist? Are they going to have a. You know, a national charter. One time they got around it by having a UN charter. Remember that? Like, there's all, there's always that aspect going on. Oh, the credit card gets denied or whatever <laughs> the thing. Like, yeah, but that's part of these again that Andy loves is the compressed, multiple juggled storylines that happen with crazy speed, and there's always like seventeen of them, like the wasp flirting with the black knight who yes. and it works out well because he's been out of it for a couple of years. I'm, I haven't read these issues in 40 years. So it was nice to get a little recap that they're <laughs> telling the black knight AE me as IE me as well. So that was nice. Yeah. The black knight knight uh, is voted on to the team at one of their, you know, you got to have one of their meetings, right? Uh, 
run with a gavel and everything. And it's always important to in eras of the Avengers, like who the chairperson is, right? Is it going to be Iron Man? Is it going to be Captain America? At one time, it was Captain Marvel. And here, the Wasp is voted to be the chairperson. So the yeah, she's always made a good leader, I thought. The team soon speeds off to investigate really colossal damage in the waters off Antarctica, then in Antarctica, heading towards... And I'm thinking, uh-oh, what's over the ridge in Antarctica, right? Hidden by the mists and warmed by the subterranean volcanic activity that exists there? The Mountains of Madness from H.P. Lovecraft? <laughs> no, beyond that. It's gotta them. be Sabu. Yeah, the Savage Land. And it turns out that, like you said, Andrew, Terminus has returned. He was a one-off kind of Galactus-like villain from Burns' yeah. FF run 269 and 270 the previous year in June of 1984. And he was defeated when he was trapped near the Earth's core with the equivalent of like having one of the wizard's gravity disks put on him and he gets trapped down into the underneath the earth and apparently he's dug himself out well 269 is one of them first appearances that kevin doesn't like where they just tease it and he gets there at the end and doesn't what? really do a lot but 279 is, is the All one right andrew had those extra issues yeah of course i did um they're on the unlimited and everything <laughs> So you can kind of skip two two six nine is a perfect example of the we're just going to push a bunch of storylines forward. Probably more significant is it introduces Wyatt to She Hulk. Yeah, that's don't, the don't big, read two sixty nine. If you had to take something away from it, um, but that's the thing. Like if you're reading two sixty nine, you're just jammed <laughs> in the middle of them pushing Johnny and Alicia story forward. Like like I said. Half of it's just that Terminus is coming type of storyline. Right, right. Doom, doom, which is yes. a fantastic force table. So the the jam of it doesn't happen till 270 when they're like, oh, no. And they point out that this guy is like killed thousands of worlds. Like he's yeah. not no. your ordinary bad guy. And then Wyatt has the idea. But the best part is Reed like so he puts it on and Wyatt's like, well, that takes care of that guy. And Reed's like, no, no. Uh, he's not defeated, Wyatt. Merely delayed. I didn't have time to do his destruction, so he's gonna, you know, stuck in their score. But he'll dig his way out in a few months. <laughs> like, so I thought it was really clever that they take this storyline because then the Fantastic Four disappear. I presume Reed would have followed up on it and done something. So I thought that was that kind of. We're still in that era where they can kind of tie the books closer together. I mean, at some point it's going to be impossible to have this tight continuity with like 97 Marvel titles on the stands, but you know, but like a clever way to cover that gap. Stern and Byrne were a team in the past, you know? So the fact that they were uh, connecting in in this way and carrying on the other uh, with the characters of the other uh, makes sense. I mean, like I said, two sixty nine is fine, but it's it's one of those we're just going to push all, right, all, right. all these uh, all these side all right. stories. You, you, you just ahead. get his shadow on the cover. I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want the real first appearance, I know Kevin gets worked up about that real. stuff. <laughs> so who's in the Savage Land? But Kazar and Shanna, right? And they're freshly married. They got a baby on the way, but Shanna's not showing yet, which she's delighted about. 
but Terminus comes, like, trampling through the Savage Land, just destroying everything in his wake. He steps on their treehouse. He's tearing out <laughs> climate control machinery. <laughs> their treehouse, you make it sound like. It's a nice tree. They're house. in his backyard or something. His <laughs> condo. You know, of all the Savage Land, he like, steps on their treehouse, you know what I mean? It's not like... It, it's... It's not like it's they dinner mean, time. They Stop playing in your treehouse. They didn't build there. it in the middle of the road. Um, and what's got me was he marches into the even more hidden Pangaea and roasts its inhabitants alive, including the ancient Lemurians. And uh, my heart was breaking. The winged warriors of the Airy also that Kazar explored and met in the first half of that Awesome 1980 Bruce Jones, Brent Anderson, Kazar, the Savage series that I love. All gone. All gone. Yeah, I was thinking, well, there goes the Savage Land. Never to be seen again. And, like, what the heck did Stern have for breakfast that fateful day in 1985, right? In this run of issues, he poops on Starlin's Thanos legacy. Wolfman and later Mantlo's Nova Mythos destroys not only all the peoples introduced in that Bruce Jones Kazar series, but the Savage Land itself and uh, eventually and does a number on Burns Terminus too. So it's... Yeah. I mean, I usually think of him as like, oh, he's pretty respectful and everything. I'm like, yeah, sure, he's adding Nebula and everything, but I don't know. It's like permanent stuff it seemingly is happening the antarctic reclaims the savage land and yeah. it's no more and how do you get those dinosaurs back and does someone go there and like well these dinos are dead now you might as well just scoop them out of here and you eat them or whatever need somebody like the high evolutionary well they've yeah. all been frozen Spoiler. so their dna is in good shape <laughs> so <laughs> stern also I mean, uses, but then trashes Terminus because he has Hercules rip his armor open that exposes yeah. his soft, gushy, like, Jabba the Hutt of a self that he really is and lets him die of exposure in the elements. Like, I haven't read a lot of Terminus stories, but I was trying to remember if he if he was chatty. And I'm like, I don't remember yes. him being torn up this way. Yes, he was chatty. And they do go back and see the body, and he's really dead there. You see the hands sticking out and everything. Dead, dead, until his kid shows up. But this would all be retconned by Mark Ruinwald four and a half years later in Quasar number seven, where they'd say that the real Terminus, Kevin, he's still slowly climbing his way out. But along the way, he met a deviant named Jaro who copied his armor and impersonated him and destroyed the Savage Land in his name just because and died in his place here. Wow. So that's I mean, not he, him. it, it did seem like he went totally down rather. It rather totally quick. was him. <laughs> I do like it. It felt totally like we're back, like an homage to the '60s in a way, with like the giant monster who has some weird Achilles, like he's really just a baby underneath yeah. type of thing, and he eats it pretty quickly. I felt like this was the giant creature, although he needed. A goofier name would have been even perfect as a tribute. It was supposed to be like an Indiana Jones shooting the guy with the with the swords or the whips um, to make this like really unstoppable foe that's all built up, and then as he's quickly handled, and that was he was a he was a punchline, uh, just a one-off thing in the FF thing, and they he 
the same thing happened to him. It just had a different ending where he had this pathetic, pathetic little quick ending that was the equivalent of like Hellboy eventually punching out the big, big bad monster with his, you know, um, fist of doom or whatever after all the buildup. Um, it's kind of reduced to that, but that's all Terminus was supposed to be. But eventually they would have that crossover in the annuals in the 90s and they would have Terminus having these spores and kids and all stupid stuff. <laughs> well, in the fan, I will say in the Fantastic Four stuff, he had kidnapped one of the aliens from one of the worlds who points out that he kind of steered him to Earth, particularly because, you know, I was like in the Marvel Universe, Earth is like a super special planet with yeah. all kinds of crazy We're business like going on. Cosmic quicksand. It's the perfect yeah. place to get stuck in a quagmire. Now, issue 258 is a weird issue on its own, but it serves pretty well as like a kind of a needed transition issue as the focus switches from the Savage Land to by the time the issue is done, outer space. And along You know, I see that cover where it says, hey, it's Amazing Spider-Man, and I'm like, wait a second, Spidey and the Fire Lord? And I just keep on thinking about that amazing issue where the Avengers are like, you can't beat Fire Lord, Spider-Man, and he's like, want to bet? Yeah, that's exactly right. The issue crosses over with the end of Amazing Spider-Man 270, where they come upon Spider-Man beating the snot out of Fire Lord, who's one of the heralds of Galactus, for crying out loud. Yeah, that always seemed like, what? How does that happen? I know, and it's not the cosmic-powered Captain Universe Spidey from David Michelini and Eric Larson several years later, either. But I All mean, right. there is some augmentation, though, right? Because it's black costume spider. Yeah. Before it was, uh, yeah, and you know we we're still in the build-up. They're running ads for Secret Wars two and everything. Mm. Um, just so I can derail this, as is my want. Uh, I don't know if you looked at the ads, but what happened to Puffy stickers? Are those still a thing? Remember when they were like huge? Yeah. Because there's I... this giveaway for American cheese where you can get free. Uh, Marvel Superhero Secret Wars Puffy stickers and a sticker album. Dude, I mean, go... free, you know, you got to send 50 cents or buck 75 if you want the album. But I'm like, boy, Puffy stickers were like the rage for a hot couple Dude. of decades. Dude, go to a Target or a Michaels and go to the office section and you won't believe the Puffy stickers and things they got. I thought that stuff had all kind of faded away. Is <laughs> You know, when you put them on your iPad or whatever, like it's not the same you know Dang. speaking of things like ipads I, that that's a pretty good prize on the back of this issue i thought where if you win an apple computer system well the other one uh, yeah that, that's the grand prize yeah I the grand prize is those, pretty good those ones where they're like sell our car you know sell 20 of these things and we'll send you those uh walkie talkies with the uh morris code beeper on them steve you ever have that thing <laughs> It was like a bar, and you'd press it, and it would just make yeah. a loud tone. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I don't think anyone uses those for Morris code, but... So, you know how Spidey beat was able to beat Fire Lord? Is the short answer is that Fire Lord was really, really tired. He had, <laughs> he had, he had just withstood a, an entire gas station exploding around him and was kind of light on his feet, and Spidey jumped in there and really went to town on him. They missed their chance, Steve. It could have been that, like, he just gave him like a Snickers bar to revive him or something. They could have had a really good product tie in there. And weirdly enough, as the, didn't we just say he the 
previous issue had, uh, or the other Terminus issues were FF 269 and 270. Well, the Spider-Man issues with Fire Lord are 269 and 270. That That's weird. This crosses over with. And if you read those issues, you get the whole story, including this scene where the Avengers come upon them, but from Spidey's point of view. But it's the last seven-page sequence of issue 258 that kicks off the next two-issue arc, where Captain Marvel meets Nebula, and she's like conditionally recruited to their mercenary gang. The mission is... A beast being chained up in some kind of cellar somewhere yeah. with some food. She's too far to fly home, even in her, like, light speed form. So they What's give... with that guy that's part of the pirates that looks like a lumpy thing? Yeah, well, these are all from the old Starlin Thanos' <laughs> band of misfits. Funny. Uh, they give Captain Marvel a test to infiltrate this Skrull outpost that's protected by these shields and everything, and she's able to, but she uses the opportunity to defect and then try to use the Skrull's comms to send a call for help towards Earth, which then brings the Avengers' next issue coming uh, you know, to her rescue with Fire Lord. Also, we're at the great age where the Marvel idea of space tech and everything is big and clunky. I always love how, yeah. like, instead of, you know, like all the communicators look like giant satellite phones sure. and things that are... <laughs> big and tactile which is a it's just a fun aesthetic that you would think now they now the thing is like small and sleek and like kind of almost invisible or just hitting buttons or whatever but i love this big clunky tech that's kind of like when uh nebula is there like looking at this hologram and she's like look we can see things in like real time and it's a variety (laughs) of images and i'm like yeah that's uh that's cool, all right. That Thanos' ship is great. Yeah. Good. I also love how every uh, Herald of Galactus has to be kind of an egotistical jerk. <laughs> Maybe we'll give uh, Frankie Ray a pass, but all the rest of them always have a high opinion of themselves, I'd say. For sure. Nebula's been hired by some scroll dude to dismantle what's left of the scattered royal empire so he can be the new emperor. Not that she really well, that, that's, she cares. That's the other weird thing, because you see the on the cover, the Avengers are with the Skrulls, and I'm, of course I'm thinking of the Skrull Kree War and all yeah, that yeah. type of stuff, but then there's also the added element of, like, if he's throwing Fire Lord in there, it's like the Skrulls aren't big fans of Galactus and his heralds yeah. either. No, no. But she doesn't even care about that goal, really. She wants to just make mayhem. She even kills that Skrull that she's working for just casually <laughs> when... He disagrees with her. I love how he's like a coward. Like some of these space guys are a little arch in that way. But Steve, I mean, you know why they did this whole arc, right? It was so that they could reintroduce the atomic steed. (laughs) They needed a pre, they need to get him into space so he can have the atomic steed for the toy. Black Knight's. Uh, that is robot. one of the so most can, nuts things. So they could have a whole Marvel Legends line where everyone gets a steed. Remember that one, Kevin? <laughs> everyone gets a ride-on steed. See, that I should be that the Build-A-Figure. I know. <laughs> Hawkeye came with that steed. I, I'm looking at it right now. Wait, shouldn't Hawkeye <laughs> have come with his little uh, Sky Cycle thing instead? Well, he had the steed before that. 
The Avengers arrive at Captain Marvel's position and they're confronted by the remains of the entire Imperial Skrull Armada. But surprise, Captain Marvel is among them. She's both warned them of and recruited them against Nebula and her army of mercenaries. And I really like that the Skrull General Zedrow from the death of Captain Marvel, Marvel graphic novel, is one of the Skrulls. He hasn't been seen since then, I don't think, but he's one of Starlin's creations from that book. Hmm. Also but, love the ship design. The two big squares with the connector in the middle. Yeah, like, they really got away from the spaceships need to be aerodynamic, because yeah. spaceships don't need to be aerodynamic. Because they're spaceships. Yep. So, the fun design. Uh, and it's and giant. it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's fun to see this huge so, spaceship. And I wish they could have... Seems like they could have milked some more wacky adventures of, like, Nebula and her buffoonish crew. Like, going around and series. pulling hijinks, something... You know, like if they want to do another flashback title with like a classic creator, like they go through so much material just like in flashback. All these all these things happened, but I'm like, that's a whole. There's a lot to unravel there. Yep. But basically, she's and her mercenary army of like ten thousand aboard this giant murder vessel is an interstellar threat that's got to be stopped. Now, the previous issues all featured Fusema Palmer covers, but issue 260 has a John Byrne cover with highlights of Nebula's face in a like a red color hold floating there between the Sanctuary spaceship and the attacking of the Avengers. It looks pretty cool. but She looks so evil. It's got that Secret Wars 2 upper corner blurb thing that I dislike so much. I think you mean Marvel's seal of quality. <laughs> this is guaranteed. I mean, I... Drove me out of comics, Andrew. <laughs> Drove me out of comics. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed, enjoyed, I guess. I don't know. It's just kind of funny when he shows up. It's, 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 it's always like an awkward interruption of what you're reading, but you're like, well, that was kind of weird, but also kind of funny. So as the issue opens, Fire Lord refuses to help anyone that's allied with the stinking scrolls and who can blame him so he splits but he's from xander after yeah. all yeah and that's where the nova Corps is from and all that so you know they've had to fend off a lot of scroll invasions over the years so his animosity for them is understandable he heads back to xandar but the planet it, i mean it's not really a planet it's like connected encapsulated cities right floating in space but yeah. they've, they've been demolished and he races yeah, to the palace and he finds princess who now is queen adora way back from the wolfman fantastic four issues with the scroll aging ray and the search for galactus and terax and all that yeah I, I feel like there's a lot more that you you could have extracted out of this too yeah she's all in trauma like still under rubble and he's like, would the scrolls do this? And she's like, no, it was Nebula. What? So, this is our whole reason reason for reading these issues. So well, I also feel like, like I I I love that Nebula must have announced it because otherwise you just see the sanctuary two blowing up your thing. <laughs> but you know, Nebula had to get on the hollow projector or whatever and sure. be like, oh, I'm doing this by the way. Don't you think that it's just some random? Someone stole the ship. It's me, and I'm blowing up 
Xandar. And I always thought Xandar looked like one of those sci-fi toys, you know, with those connecting yeah. balls. Like, that's totally like some Micronauts toy that Absolutely. failed out in 1980 right. or whatever. It's Homeworld from the Micronauts for sure. So with this revelation here, Fire Lord races back and helps in the effort against Nebula after all, because she's as bad as the Skrulls. So it's this big outer space battle that's totally epic. It's the Avengers and Fire Lord and the Skrull Armada versus Nebula in the Sanctuary 2 with 10,000 troops and her own fleet of fighter ships. You know what the craziest things of this battle are? That Hercules is just running around out there in space <laughs> and that the Black Knight has his steed and he can finally use his sword since they're not people and he's just tearing into ships with his unbreakable sword. How about the uh, wasp scroll, Scrolls the... definitely aren't people, Kevin. You can kill as many of those as you want. There's no problem with the code here. How about the wasp behind a turret like as a tail oh, gunner yeah. shooting enemies dead? <laughs> Take that, you dirty ratsy! <laughs> She'll never get over Macho Grande, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Marvel manages to overload Nebula's shields on the Sanctuary 2, which allows Cap to lead a boarding party to attack. But the boarding party is General Zadro shapeshifted into Thanos, which totally, like, stuns the enemy, and they're able to really surprise shock with their awe. Was that the best strategy? Because they said, "Well, if we turn if we ter- turn off the shields, then we can then we can use our weapon, but we can't turn off the shields." So then it's like, "Oh, the good guys just turned off our shields. All right, let's fire our super weapon now." Yeah, I've seen but that. Yeah, but by then, that way. by then they're getting boarded though, and they yeah. don't want to. <laughs> there's no way they're standing up in arm to arm and small arms combat with the Avengers or even the stinking scrolls. Now, Fire Lord got thrown from the battle to this nearby moon or satellite or whatever where he meets the Beyonder, because this is at the time of Secret Wars 2 number 3. The Beyonder offers to help and makes that kooky exoskeleton armor thing for the first time and goes off Mm -hmm. to do something. Rest appearance. You know, this is really going to shock a lot of people, but I remember nothing about Secret Wars 2. I'm pretty sure I read it back then. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell me about it, Andrew. I was out. I couldn't tell out. you a single plot point, and I'm 99% sure I, have, I have bought all the issues at some point. <laughs> uh, I do remember this armor now that I see a picture of it, and, uh, whew, well, he didn't know anything. That's his defense for any everything. And you get that. You, I mean, you've heard me tell you before. It wasn't just Secret Wars 2 that got me out. It was just everything that was going on at that time. It was only six months after Secret Wars 1. Um, maybe the war, uh, you know, Simonson wasn't drawing Thor anymore, although he was still writing it. Miller was off Daredevil. The Hulk was in the crossroads. Byrne was about to be off of Alpha Flight. Byrne was doing some weird inking thing with the Zipatone on Fantastic Four at this point that almost felt like it was towards the end. Uh, there was a lot of things that were shifting and changing and not for the better. Power Man and Iron Fist ended. Marvel Team-Up ended. Um, there was just a lot of stuff that was uh, the meandering of Uncanny X-Men towards issue 200 wasn't enjoyable to me around that 190 to 195 six or whatever when i when i jumped out it just 
there was a lot. There you was didn't want to be there for the greatest year in comics, Steve. Just admit it. Yeah. It it would be decades before I would even set foot in California, but in the spring of '86, uh, Creations had a comic convention at the Disneyland Hotel. Wow! Across from Disneyland. Huh. How time a different world where I grow up. There, there's me at the hotel, hobnobbing with the greats. Now the Beyonder arrives just as Star Fox had Nebula dead to rights, and just as she was making her claim to be Thanos's granddaughter for the first time. Yeah. Oh man, she's gonna pay for that. <laughs> uh, years later, at the Infinity Gauntlet time, she's gonna suffer mightily for making that claim. But the Beyonder, only a cosmic child, innocent and naive, but all powerful decides to help the Avengers by banishing Nebula and her generals into the time stream forever. And at least they were kind of defeated, because if they were still like at 100%, and then you just have the Beyonder come in as your MacGuffin, oh, he solved the battle, you'd be like, what? That was yeah. the end? Well, the Avengers are like, that really wasn't helpful. Um, yeah. As the issue ends. Oh, I know Kevin and I would buy like a 12-issue series of uh, Nebula and her lieutenants having wacky adventures. In the yeah. Time. Well, what's <laughs> funny is that she That's would no be <laughs> she would be a um, reason for different plots to happen in the Avengers title over subsequent years, as we'll see. But she isn't actually seen again for years and years until Thanos's return in the pages of Silver Surfer under Starlin. That's crazy. It's when he punishes her for her granddaughter claim by like flaying her alive and burning her but not letting her die and holding her in that like limbo space in torture um i can see not but look i mean she was uh in like three issues or you know what i mean right? it wasn't like i mean they were fine it wasn't like she was this classic uh, so i think that was uh, like kind of like term terminus who no. in four issues and then disappeared for a couple of decades and <laughs> So I think that was cool because you had people just creating all these different things left and right and just leaving these breadcrumbs for people to grab later on if they wanted to. No, I say this is a classic intro of someone that you could bring back many times over. Or, or I, have those like other... Terminus doesn't feel like the same thing. Or, have, or filling in those blanks like you were saying because she had no history prior to hijacking the Sanctuary in Avengers 255. She didn't exist. So decades later, they would retcon her early life to match the movie version, that she's the adopted daughter of Thanos, stepsister of Gamora with all the cybernetics and everything. You know what's yeah, funny? For those of you that are movie like people. the end of the story, but they, then they mention, hey, you, need, you should go check out Avengers Annual. Well, and then the next issue is still dealing with some of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, man. Yeah, well, Avengers Annual 17, the Fantastic Four find them, and they're, like, allied with the Skrulls, which is at odds with what the Fantastic Four are up to. And the same scene is seen from their point of view in Fantastic Four Annual 19, and both annuals, guys, are penciled by John Byrne, each with a different anchor. The Avengers, Kyle Baker, and Joe Sinnott, the Fantastic Four, and the pages that uh, mirror each other he drew twice 
So there's no, he, they didn't blue line it. So there's actually two copies of the original pencils that are inked by different artists of the same couple of pages. It's kind of cool. crazy. That Avengers annual is pretty wacky. Like I went and pulled it up after this. Yeah, no, I the, didn't really enjoy it's it. It's pretty, too much. It, it's totally weird and yeah. And, and it just does not feel like the continue. I mean, plot wise, it's the continuation of this story, but no sort of flow and sense of it. Is it the continuation of the story? But yeah, hey, you know, everybody's got to tell their story. Yeah, well, it, it's funny because I know people have brought up that annual before and they're like, oh, this isn't the greatest thing. And then I'm thinking, well, if you're if you're reading this story, um, think, I think you'd really want that annual. But they were really it's it, it, it seems like like it like you want you're like, oh, I want to see the continuation. Oh, where does Star Fox find Nebula? And you like you want to see all these story threads. They really were playing around a lot with the. Uh doing things from the other character's point of view and the other issue, right? Because, like, Fantastic Four and Avengers did that uh, the previous year when the... or maybe it was two years prior when the Fantastic Four came back from the negative zone and they did the same scene from the two different issues. And then we just did it with Spider-Man, with Fire Lord, and now they did it in this Fantastic Four and Avengers annual. The whole universe is being so mixed up and crossed over with secret wars 2 and the mindset of editorial at the time i think that like you said you look at the next issue and it's like six different issues <laughs> it's like you need to go here 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 and here uh, but, that's but i mean time. you could just go to 261 sure oh they yeah. get him home star fox leaves the team to go find himself uh they all get back <laughs> and uh you know captain marvel because i did i thought it was really a like a cool story with her being kind of stuck and how if you think about it like if you're just a regular earth person she hasn't had these powers for a long time and suddenly you're like millions of light years from <laughs> like it, it is kind of like she's very powerful but she's not cap or one of these people that have been fighting forever so i thought it was well characterized and interesting the idea of like yeah you have these powers but you're like a speck far from home and maybe never gonna be able to get back type of thing and i really like that so in 261 when she gets back she you know sees her family and it's kind of a nice coda to that but then you have some of that secret wars too goodness that's (laughs) dribbled in like hot fudge over a sunday but is there something with a building being turned into gold or someone going to the bathroom or something but there is more to the story that relates both to the Nebula angle and the Nova Xandar angle. Three and a half years later, in January 1988, Avengers 291 hits the stands. And this is the beginning of Walt Simonson's totally forgettable stint writing the Avengers, right? Like, Roger Stern's last issue was 287 if you can imagine that because he took over the title from Jim Shooter five years before in January of 83 with issue 227 the one that has Captain introduces Captain Marvel the Monica Rambeau Captain Marvel to the Avengers with her like spread eagle on the cover shooting like making the different panels with her blasts 
Yeah, I can't believe the people involved in this. So Simonson writes 291 to 300, which he's basically like the chop man. He's, he's going to dismantle yeah. the Dr. Druid era team and get Cap on board with the anniversary issue. And, and then he's like, I'm out. Right. And funny enough, it's still John Buscema and Tom Palmer <laughs> art. All, all from that time from those other issues we were talking about, 260 and everything. And in 291, a mysterious woman is visiting Dr. Druid in his dreams. And it turns out that it's Kang Nebula. Get this, a member of the Cross-Time Council of Kangs, retconned years later, not to be confused with the Council of Nathaniel Richards Kangs, but rather, these are all individuals who slayed Nathaniel Richards and assumed his Kang guise. So it's a bunch of non-Richards Kangs, as apparently Nebula must have done while she was off in the time stream. And she slowly gains influence over Dr. Druid through these visitations and these like manipulative warnings and stuff to steer him in one direction or another. And then with him as her thrall, Druid mentally manipulates the rest of the team into voting him chairman of the Avengers in 294. And Nebula is revealed to be the one who's manipulating him then. And by the end of 296, Black Knight, Thor, and She-Hulk are all under Dr. Druid's control, and he's a thrall of Kang Nebula, who is now just hanging out as Nebula again. And in 297, she has Druid manipulate the team into voting her in as an Avenger. Although by the end of the issue, the gig is totally up, and she and her Lieutenant Gunther, and Dr. Druid actually, are all lost in the time stream. Yeah, I don't know how you... When when some character says Nebula has been an Avenger, I'm like, there's there's no way. <laughs> and, and it, and it, it, it it seems like they're deconstructing the Avengers, yes. and fans kind of feel like I get the feeling that the book is being deconstructed from what it was too. Like the, the, everything is just coming in on itself. Completely, the team breaks up at the end of this. Everyone feels lousy about having been controlled by druid none feeling worse than she-hulk who's remember as we talked about in what was it episode 298 of marvel noise where we did the big she-hulk rep- retrospective that that's one of the times that she was mind controlled and it really messed her up for a while um, so they all want out and that's the reason for the oddball team that steve rogers as the captain he's not even captain america then puts together for issue 300 with steve rogers and he's trying to you know restore the team's pride and honor and his crazy Wait. team includes that gilgamesh dude and reed and sue richards who were on a sabbatical from the ff i thought I you were gonna the, do a whole a fantastic avengers I thought you were going to do a bit, Steve, where you're like, and then they added that other one, but I keep forgetting his name. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember who he was. (laughs) So then, like you said, Kevin, then Walt's off the book, right? And Mark Gruenwald and Ralph Macchio, two editors who also can write, would be placeholders for about three or four issues until John Byrne would start writing with issue 305. And Paul Ryan would take over as being the new penciler on the book. So Gru and Ralph would take the opportunity totally to like kickstart Gruenwald's upcoming Quasar ongoing series by bringing Quasar back <laughs> yeah. in these issues and show his whole new status quo 
but he also advances upon both the Zendarian Nova Corps and the Nebula Mythos. Although first I gotta say, and this is, I know we're going all over the place, but that's the way this story zigs and zags. The month prior, in the Steve Englehart written Silver Surfer issues 19 and 20 with the Ron Lim pencils, Star Fox and Fire Lord are seen for the first time since issue 261. It's like three and a half years prior, right? When when we last saw them. And they've been searching the cosmos for Nebula all this time. She's still like the mission. And in in these issues, it doesn't really affect the big story, but, you know, Fire Lord and Surfer have some bad blood between them so that there's a fight with all that Heralds of Galactus stuff going on. But back to the Avengers, in the next month, in November 1988, with issues 301 to 303, we have this storyline that connects back to the Nebula Xandar stuff here. Written by Ralph Macchio, the script, with Grunewald providing the plot along with him. And this issue has Bob Hall providing breakdowns and finishes by Don Heck. Oh my god, I was so excited when I saw Don Heck. Because for me, it feels like it was a world ago when it was, you know, like, as a kid when you're reading this stuff, Don Heck, even though it's only, you know, 20 years, probably not even... But you feel like this is someone from like a different generations ago or whatever. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah, it's not just an Avengers team they're trying to reassemble. It's a creative team. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It floats around a little bit until Paul Ryan comes on. But I really like, I mean, like the splash page is beautiful with Thor with that handsome Don Heck face. And there's a couple of uh, panels where Sue has that classic uh, Heck romance book type face he does a really nice job even though some of the stuff is a little scratchy too which was part of the style of the time but before the excitement of don heck i know kevin was excited just by seeing the cover brain leeches um i i looked at that and i mean if i was basil cronas maybe i would be excited <laughs> but i i would say between covers where like Nebula's grinning face is on the cover or like Baron Zemo's there, uh, this didn't inspire me to really buy it. <laughs> so in this ish, Reed and Sue, well, let's face it, mostly Reed, is helping Cap's new team get their new headquarters set up on Stingray's old Hydro Base. Remember Hydro Base? And they purchased it and had it towed into the New York Harbor. That's so weird. Yeah. Star Fox arrives out of the blue and contacts the team. He's severely injured, and it has nothing to do with that confrontation with the surfer. I mean, there's also the whole... I like... We're still in Thought Bubble land, so there's the whole struggle of cap trying to assemble the team into a team and right. reed having his own thing and it just reminds yeah. me of that old like boy reed never has a second cup of coffee yeah. at home <laughs> hey do you want reed's help or not you know <laughs> and reed's like well i haven't decided how long i'll stay but i'm, I'm gonna humor him for a while star fox was injured when he and fire lord came upon a giant being in Nova Centurion garb, calling himself Supernova, 
the last son of Xandar. But, you know, Fire Lord is from Xandar too, so... I don't know how they reconcile that, but whatever. And it wasn't a... What, what was their name? Adora? Right. Whoever they found Adora. that survived? Yeah, yeah. And Supernova has defeated and captured Fire Lord. And he's on his way to Earth to find Nebula because she went ran ransack through Xandar. So the team flies out to intercept Supernova's spacecraft, and that's when they encounter an army of flying brains. For two Did pages, they really destroy these brains, though? It, it's like... It's a, okay. They're not really I'm, alive. I mean, yeah. I think Thor played a few too many hours on Metroid and is like, oh, Mother Brain's got to be here. Because they make a big bit about that. Oh, they're not. It's okay. We can kill these things because they're not really proper living creatures, even though back when we met them in Nova, I thought they were the living brains that powered the computer. But it was big props to the super detailed fiddling. You're the fill in guys. And you do a lot of noodling on the spaceship innards. Uh, I appreciate it, you know. I like that when they're fighting the brains for two pages, it's like a Don Martin strip of onomatopoeias when they're all squished, you know. (laughs) Splurch, blooch, blotch, blitch. (laughs) So they find and they free Fire Lord. It's like Jack stealing the singing harp, right? The giant gets alerted, fee-fi-fo-fum and all that. And they're confronted by the supernova. Who dares? Who dares disturb the sanctum of the last son of Xandar? He demands that you... That the team turns over Nebula. And Cap stupidly is like, well, she was temporarily, you know, on the team (laughs) recently and all. But that's, you know, a technicality. (laughs) Yeah, he he doesn't uh, respond well to subtlety or anything. He says, oh... On that planet? Hmm. And, Andrew, you think they call him Supernova because he's like like the ultimate giant Nova? No. It's because he blows up. Boom. I mean, ba-woom. Great ending splash page with, like, he's doing the typical, like, his whole bottom of his body. Not just his legs are all just lines and all kinds of explosions and Lines all over the place. A great, fun last page to end it on. I mean, right, he's a little... uh, They can call this guy Mr. Bombastic because, man, everything is hyperbole with him. But I (laughs) imagine that comes with... I mean, that's one word you can use. I think the plausible explanation would be if he's combined with all these different entities and everything, it's probably a little chaotic in his brain. You know, when yes. you can't figure out what's going on. Yes. And I also like that um, it has to be the guy that works in comic. Scott Tipton had a letter. Uh, right. I saw that one. too. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I want that has to be Scott Tipton, the guy that yep. works in comics now, I would think, yeah, unless yeah. there's a different Scott. I always love when I see like, hey, that's pretty cool, seeding the future work. <laughs> but yeah, I liked uh, no, this is a good way of using the Nova design. Because the design comes yes. through when the rest is all done in lines. Like, yeah, I mean, I know I'm kind of spending a lot of time on Hall and Heck, but I just, I don't know. It's really fun to have those people come back and do some fun stuff and really exciting work that gets me fired up. Especially now looking at it 
40 years from, you know, on or and 30 however long it's been. Remember, the original Nova design was when he flew around, you didn't see his, you know, you didn't see below the belt. It was just like a trail behind him. So I think having it be a souped up version of that in that panel's a pretty cool little homage. Yeah, I'm not sure why the whole make him a super giant thing seemed another decision. I'm like, I don't like no yeah. Zandarian is that si- like they're right. regular size people, but I guess it makes him more super. Avengers 302 and 303 both have Rich Buckler breakdowns with Tom Palmer providing the finishes. The supernova reaches Earth, and the first hero to intercept him is the newly rebooted Quasar. You know, prior to this, he's mostly known as being the head of security at Project Pegasus. That's a good gig. You know, like, and he was like the pretty much guest starring in the Things Marvel 2 and 1 book. But now he's got new duds, a new mission statement, a new boss, this waxy floating thing in his closet. Well, what that was totally confusing. Yeah. Like, if you post those panels out of context, even in context, it's confusing. Yeah. Is it a tooth? Is it a. <laughs> yeah, you're like, is what it... exactly is happening There's there? There's a lot of gingivitis going on there. They... Yeah. <laughs> the tooth fairy's in there. So, after Quasar tries his best. In unsuccessfully against the supernova, the West Coast team assembles. Hawkeye, Wonder Man, Hank Pym, and Tigra. So they only have a four-person? Like, the Avengers is yeah. down to five. Right. West Coast is down to four. I feel like they're missing people. They can't do much more than stall the supernova at best, but I thought it was funny on their way there. Like, Nova gets no love, right? Like, they barely remember him at this time. Even the editor's like, he even had his own book for a while. (laughs) His name was uh, Nova, something like that. Nova was on the shelf for a long time. I can't get back to getting over how long of a time that really felt. Especially when you didn't get another book right away or anything. And then he came back and it was the kid Nova thing. And it was like, WTF. I like the internecine west coast versus east coast rivalry so <laughs> guy has to check in and make sure that like he's not stepping on their toes yep. with peggy carter who was running the the base is going to be running the avengers security base yeah it's like a whole complicated political situation hawkeye versus cap yeah and they're like oh no chicago is neutral ground what are we gonna do <laughs> And that East Coast team that got blowed up, well, not with the benefit of their new Deus Ex Machina member, the Invisible Woman. They survived the explosion, they survived the vacuum of space, and they survived re-entry through the friction of the Earth's atmosphere, all thanks to Sue. Did this not remind you of Thunderbolts 12, when it's like... The station's going to get blown up, and it's like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And, like, Reed's like, um, I don't know, I'll just maybe put everyone inside and become a big bubble. So I'm waiting for Reed to do something, because I know he can do something. I liked how it was one of those fun, like, 
okay, everyone has a power set. We're going to use yeah. Sue runs it, and then we have to have Thor to slow it down, yeah. and then Fire Lord to absorb the heat. Unre- like, it was right. just a fun... It's still pretty compressed, a little decompressed, but fine. We're we're transitioning out. It was just a nice, like, let's showcase some goofy powers and what can you do with these things that maybe you wouldn't necessarily think of doing as their side story. It goes to the, I think it goes back to the X-Men 99 or 100 there with the, with the Phoenix where they're, you know, coming down from space in the shuttle and they all sort of are using their powers to try to just survive oh. you know yeah so in issue 303 quasar introduces himself to the group because nobody knows quasar <laughs> and rescues hawkeye and three of the fantastic four show up but totally get clobbered pun intended well i love hawkeye's actually had a pretty smart thing at the end for the cliffhanger and that's to try and actually talk to the guy and explain that no one knows what's going on and everybody's confused and where is this nebula like supernova has some kind of like i said i think all the personalities or whatever make him a little slow to respond and i liked it but then he's in the hand ready to be squished into purple (laughs) jelly and that's when they have the fake out where quasar saves him with his um with his bands and this way you can get him to introduce quasar to the gang because you're right it does feel like the quasar introduction realm will make him be disproportionately useful as opposed to the guy with the bow and arrow who is clearly the most powerful and useful superhero (laughs) it's a good time for the main team to arrive on the scene for sure and I like how the first thing Cap does is make Hawkeye feel like a chump. He's like, why aren't they doing? What's going on? What the blazes is going on down there, mister? Why don't you have this under control? Pretty funny. And, you know, Cap's, like, even from the beginning of this, that friction with Reed, he's really getting all insecure about Richards's confidence and leadership qualities that make it hard for Reed to... Just follow orders like a soldier. I mean, he's smarter than everybody else. So there are times that he's going to go off on initiative, right? But Reed and Sue would actually be gone next issue. They really (laughs) were there just to get this team off the ground, guys, and get this new headquarters up and running. There was no Avengers Arrow with Reed and Sue on the team. It was just these six issues where they really guessed it in from 298 to 303, and then back to the Fantastic Four's book they went. Yeah, but you know, you're reading those previews catalogs, jumping onto your your ARPANET there, and you're just... uh... Yep. Keying away, going, I can't believe yeah, yeah, yeah. that they're going to add these characters to my Avengers. I can hear the screeching facts like sound now of dialing <laughs> into the internet, Kevin, as you say that. <laughs> but it is Reed who saves the day. The other heroes are just throwing fire and strength at a giant strong dude who's immune to fire. So that's not, I mean, and like you said, he's lumbering, right? He the, the supernova is just pretty much standing there, waving his arms around, demanding Nebula, even though she's obviously not there, and occasionally blasting a hole through a building. You know? Yeah, and saying he's going to destroy the entire world, and then once everyone's dead, and 
and then he, I guess you'll have to assume he killed Nebula too, since everyone's dead. And then he'll, I don't know what he'll do. Uh, certainly he's not taking the moral high ground. Reed's deus ex machina this time is in Sue, but it's one of the oldest and most nostalgic pieces of tech in the Marvel universe. It's Dr. Doom's old rising platform time machine. Gotta love it. He sends they the supernova into the time stream to find Nebula, and it's like, peace out. <laughs> <laughs> and, but Cap is like, that wasn't cool, as the issue ends at Reed. So lame. And then Reed's like, well, I don't care about your team. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't it. Where did things go from here with Supernova and Star Fox and Fire Lord all searching for Nebula? Funny that Supernova would search seemingly endlessly for years. He would turn up next four years later in New Warriors number 40 from 1993 that we covered on Marvel Noise episode 385 in February of 2022. And that story had Fire Lord and other Xandarians in it, too. Then Star Fox would keep searching and successfully spy upon Nebula and Gunthar, her uh, lieutenant, on some remote planetoid where they're searching for info from some hieroglyphs on this stone tablet in a cave in this one-page interlude that's written and drawn by John Byrne in Avengers West Coast 48, five months after Avengers 303 in May of 1989. Just one page. Weird. But remember how I said Byrne took over writing the main Avengers title with issue 305 with Paul Ryan penciling? Sure enough, oh. six months later, in Avengers 314 to 318, this was December of 89 to into the spring of 90, both Nebula and Gunther would be antagonists in the tale that featured Spider-Man. And, yeah, and I was going to say, I know where this is going. Spider-Man doesn't know if he's an Avenger. Exactly. It ends with him once again coming to the conclusion that he doesn't belong on a team and certainly doesn't want to be an Avenger. <laughs> <laughs> but the basic gist of it is that Nebula finds a power source that makes her super powerful, which, I mean, does that sound fantasy enough for you or what but she and gunther have star fox imprisoned and freeing him helps turn the tide and it also helps that gunther get becomes afraid of this uber powerful nebula and betrays her and uh, discusses what her achilles heel is and the fact that the mysterious stranger shows up and throws some punches helps as well then Starlin returns to the Marvel fold, and subsequently Me Too, and brought back Thanos in Silver Surfer 34, which is earlier that year in January 1990, and Nebula would first appear there in issue 38 and get her punishment for claiming to be Thanos' granddaughter, which he vehemently, um, you know, denies. I think he protested too much. <laughs> And she even almost grasps victory from defeat in the Infinity Gauntlet event the following year in May 1991. But there's still more. Remember when Nebula showed up in between 
in that Avengers 391 to 397 impersonating Kang to be part of this cross-time council of Kangs manipulating Dr. Druid to be the worst Avengers chairman ever. Well, a couple of years after the Infinity Gauntlet in 1993, there was a four-issue limited series penned by Mark Ruinwald with Mike Gustavich pencils that was a sequel to a Citizen Kang storyline that ran through a bunch of annuals in 1992, and this was called The Avengers Terminatrix Objective. Oh, right. And in this story, Kang's love, Ravona, is the scheming Terminatrix, and they retcon Avengers 391 to 397 that it was Ravona disguising herself as Nebula, disguising herself as Kang in those issues, not actually Nebula, which I think is one more disguise than is is that was necessary. <laughs> so, hey, hindsight's twenty twenty. And she would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for those pesky kids, Steve. Right, but that was Nebula's introduction into the Marvel U before, like, she would reappear in Annihilation in the in the two thousands. And then she got all robotic. Yep. But she kept Star-Lord and Fire-Lord busy for like half a decade, that's for sure. Wow, <laughs> they were off that the shelf. But, all right, we did it. Thank you for tolerating this winding, decade-long path from the mid-80s to the mid-90s. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> that was like a that was like a moaning almost distressed acknowledgement of agreement. I mean, these Avengers issues um yeah. No. We read them because not great stuff is is what I'll say. We read them because we were trying to follow the the Nebula timeline to figure out how that all went down because it's odd that there was such big chunks of time in between when the characters were off still doing their search and Bizarre. yeah i was i was hoping there was more nova and xander stuff in these avengers issues then even though comparatively there is more in these avengers issues compared to the earlier issues yeah it's it's not really worth that, the... that's why i didn't make you read them earlier <laughs> well, well apparently you knew what you were talking about well for me i enjoyed the art team on 301 yes that was a lot of fun for nostalgia's sake for sure for sure all right until it's revealed that nebula was always mystique in disguise make mine marvel later I was about to break.